than getting up on Sunday morning and going to church makes you a Christian. Do you realize that? That's the subject that we're looking at this morning when we, when we consider what it means to follow Christ or to be a Christian, one like Christ. I, I find that, that just because someone comes here, it does not make them one like Christ. We're going to look at that in our study this morning from Mark chapter 1. Our text will be verses 14 through 20. We looked at this last week. We're going to build on this and look at the second part of this um, this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into this text this morning. Father, we come before you and we are grateful. We we have this attitude of gratitude on our hearts, and we acknowledge, Lord, you and all of your glory and your greatness. We acknowledge the gift of your grace and your mercies that are new every day, and we rejoice in who you are. We rejoice that you have given to us yet one more opportunity. Lord, I think of how great privilege it is, but how terrifying a responsibility it is to preach. Father, I would ask, Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would open hearts and minds and eyes and ears, and that you, Lord, would you would accomplish what you want to be accomplished in individual lives and in, in this corporate body. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege that we can be called out once. Help us, Lord, to understand the, the weight and the, the gravity and the magnitude of that responsibility. Help us, God, please. As we sang, we need you. But help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful followers. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be with our community that, as Bill gave testimony, there are disaster areas all over our country, and one of them is right here, perhaps not physically or tangibly, but Lord, within homes and hearts. It's a disaster, and God, we, we have the answer through the gospel, and help us, Lord, to be bold proclaimers of that. Guide us now, direct us now. Yes, this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Number one, the mission begins, we saw this last week. Thank you. We have this style of the Gospel of Mark, and he's kind of just right to the point. Let's get to the point. Now, if you remember last week, by way of review, we talk about the fact that John was arrested, and Jesus goes about proclaiming the Gospel, it says, in verse 14. John was arrested, a good man doing a good thing, and and he gets put in jail for it. That's what we call bad news. How do we respond in the midst of bad news? Automatically, just like Jesus, we are to offer good news. We live out and we give out every day the good news of Jesus Christ. Now we, we move on and we think about this whole idea of what it means to, to be a Christian. A lot of people raise their hand and say, yep, I'm one of them. But it truly means to be one like Christ. A lot of people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but when it comes to it, 
They're not actually following. As a matter of fact, last week I, I gave you a couple indicators of what the life of Christ looked like. And I, I challenge you and I to ask ourselves, and I'll read that same list to check to see how you and I are doing. Uh, Christ invested in the people. He invested in the people more than things. Do, do you do that? Do you personally invest into people? Christ grieved over the community. He looked at the spiritual condition and he wept tears. Do you do that, Christian, one like Christ? Christ surrounded himself with lost people, people who are in need of the gospel. Do you do that or do you keep yourself in your safe confines and context of your own familiarity? Christ gave up his own will to accomplish his Father's will. Do you do that? Christ sent people away from him on mission. Do do people leave a conversation that they've had with you and they know what they have been called to do? Christ embraced other cultures to you. Christ's vision was completely leveraged by, by prayer. Every moment, he had to, he, he constantly had to get away to get on his knees to pray. Do you do that? Think about some of those things as we read our text this morning. Mark chapter 1, we'll read verse 14 down through verse 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I want you to understand this morning, in a group this size, um, we have all kinds of people. In a group this size, when every single one of us hears Jesus make the proclamation, follow me, every one of you here this morning will fall into one of three categories in your response to what Jesus says, follow me. Some that are sitting here this morning, when you hear Jesus Christ say, follow me, some of you are saying this, I am all in. I will follow. At any cost, I am with you. And your lives indicate that, that you live on mission. Some of you are committed and are faithful and you give and you serve and you sacrifice and you love. You're exercising the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you. You are in. Praise God. 
There's other people within our congregation, even this morning, that when you hear the phrase, Jesus says, follow me, you respond like this. I will follow when, and you can fill in the blank. I'll follow when I have enough time. I will follow what? After football season is over. I will follow Jesus when I'm not so busy. I'll follow Jesus when the kids are out of the home. I'll follow Jesus when I, when I reach retirement age. That's how some of you are responding to what Jesus says, follow me. There's a third group that sits even in our seats this morning. And when Jesus Christ says, follow me, some of you are saying, follow who? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Some of you come, which is good, to start. That's where it is. It's kind of like me putting an orange hat on and carrying a gun and calling myself a hunter while I'm anything but. Same idea that it's not just about coming into a building or sitting and listening to a message that calls you to follow. Now, my responsibility, as I talked about the amazing privilege it is for me to preach, but something as frighteningly heavy is that, that we have to, what, trust the Word of God and the Spirit of God that exists amongst the people of God to move everyone into that first category. I will follow. I am all in. That's, that's the task that is at hand this morning. We begin with what? We know that the mission begins. The team is chosen. We see this in verses 16 through 20. It's more than interesting to note that after proclaiming the gospel or proclaiming the good news, the very first action, the first thing that Jesus does is that he calls others to follow him. And he says specifically that he's going to make them fishers of men. So you can kind of create the scene. Um, Jesus Christ officially commencing his formal ministry, walking alongside the, the rocky shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees first Simon, or Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they're fishing. Immediately we kind of think that they're kind of sitting down, fishing pole in hands, kind of relaxing. It's not that type of, of fishing. No, no, it's, it's what they're actually standing on the banks, and they're throwing or casting their nets out. I've had the privilege of, of walking those very same rocky shores. And what's interesting is that in our mind, this sea is actually more like a lake. 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide. It's, it's in our vision, it's kind of smaller than we would, we would picture. At certain times of the day, the, the fish would come closer to the banks to feed, and that's when these fishermen would cast their nets out, and they would what, drag them back. Hard labor, hard work, calloused hands. After calling out Peter and Andrew, they, they what, 
it says that they immediately, they just drop their nets. They drop them right there. And they follow. Jesus continues to walk along the shore. And this time he sees two more brothers, James and John. And, and, and it says, we give indication that they're sitting in their boats. Matthew in chapter 4 gives a little bit more detail that says that they were actually mending their nets with their father Zebedee and servants. So it's a little bit of a, of a larger fishing operation. They're working, preparing to go fishing. Jesus calls out to them and they immediately drop everything and follow. All four are called, all four drop whatever they are doing to serve. Now, now we understand that any organization must have a core team in order to succeed. Any organization, particularly a new organization, is going to build upon what a team that, that gets it, that kind of buys in, that understands the vision, that, that catches it, that believes in it. And these four guys, in a sense, don't get everything right away, but they are committed what, to learning. The process of getting it begins. And so what they're doing is they're making a commitment to what? To learn more. They're making a commitment to understand more. And Christ uses this very specific term, follow me. It is a word that underscored followers are going to embrace him as the essence of their existence. Think about how many things vie for our attention. And yet when Christ calls us to follow him, we are what to see him as the very essence of our existence. Literally, the word translates or means to come after. What we have to understand this is that following is a directional thing. It is to position Christ as the singular, passionate pursuit in all things. Following Christ is to place him as your single, passionate pursuit in all things. That's every thought, every choice, every response in life is fully devoted followers that move toward our proximity and intimacy with Christ. I love the picture that Paul Ebert, who's a professor of missions at Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School, he envisions biblical Christianity, describes it as a paradigm with Christ as the center. Think of a circle. You've got a circle in your mind. Think of the very middle of that circle as Christ. And the edge of the circle is the point of salvation in your life. And he suggests that authentic followers are in the process of moving wherever you are, moving closer and closer to Christ. Every single decision moves you closer to the one that you are pursuing. Therefore, when we get distracted by something, Something comes before what crosses our paths that it, it, in a sense, turns that arrow around and we head back to the edge of the circle. We can't go, we can't lose our salvation, can't go outside, but the, the, the arrow changes direction. And so it's this constant, every single thing should be arrows pointing toward Christ. When Jesus calls out to these first followers, first disciples, follow me, I will make you 
to become fishers of men. And the record indicates, and two times the word is used. Immediately they left their nets and followed him in verse 18. Immediately he called to them and they left their father in the boat and they followed him in verse 20. It teaches us three things that, that I want to begin with this morning. The first one is this. Following Jesus is a commitment to obey Following Jesus is a commitment to obey what it specifically meant, what it specifically included to follow Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they did not know everything, but they went. They knew that they were no longer going to be fishing for fish. It sounded similar, but it's totally different. They would be fishing from this point forward, this point onward, for men. Now, like you and I, I am immediately struck with and aware of their, their obedience and how quick they obey and how different that is for you and I. And when God calls us to something, we automatically have questions about what he's calling us towards. N- notice that there's no asking any questions. Notice that there's no clarifying of the job description. Excuse me, um, could you just briefly give me a definition of what it means to fish for men? It's not included here. It just says that they drop and they go. There's no wondering. There's There's no indication of an inquiry to the to the offer or the package. Is this going to include um, health insurance? If I follow you, is it going to offer me an expense account so that I can be taken care of as I find? There's, there's none of that. There's no asking questions. There's no wondering. There's no worrying. Excuse me, do you think this is going to be a scary journey? Is this going to be a, a dangerous Is anyone else going? Are we the only ones? See, automatically, they're the types of questions that we ask. Imagine coming to church and you were the only one who arrived. Like there's no one. Come in and just sit down. Would would that be okay with you? It it ought to be. It's following Christ. Christ says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. It means what? Come here to hear the preaching, the teaching of God's words. Following Jesus is a commitment to obey. I believe the response is amazing. Not only does it speak of the magnetism of Jesus, but it talks about the mindset that every single one of these guys had. Their obedience was quick, prompt, speedy. It was complete It was sacrificial. They were giving up everything that they had known from that point, and they were walking away from earthly familiarity and earthly security. It was an amazing application right out of this for you and I, especially for those of us who by nature can tend to be procrastinators. Ever have this? How many times are we going to really, really get serious about Jesus tomorrow? How many times are we going to be more disciplined in our quiet time? Are we going to sacrifice more? Are we going to go out of our way more? Are we going to love more? Are we going to read more, study more, give more? 
How often do we do that, what, in our thinking, tomorrow I'm really going to engage? No, no, you don't see that. It's not an option here. How many times do we say that tomorrow we're going to repent from our sin? Tomorrow I'm going to turn from and run from our, our sinful choices right after what we choose to do it today. There's an urgency and there's an immediacy. But when, when, it, when it comes to the subject of following Christ, come on. Give, give the flesh a, a, a rest from what you have been gorging yourself on. Understand that following Jesus is joy. Jesus is the only way. So many people are grabbing and grasping for something in life and they're following everything and everyone other than. I love the urgency. I love the tone. I was reading just this week the psalmist in Psalm 119. And it's such a long, but it's such a rich. And, and I, w- I was struck with, with the urgency and the tone that exists. Listen to, to some selected portions beginning in verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By guarding it according to your word. And then there's these statements. I have stored up your word in my heart. I will meditate on your precepts. I will delight in your statutes. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. I will run in the way of your commandments. The psalmist continues on, Teach me, O Lord. Give me understanding. Lead me in the path of righteousness. Incline my heart to hear your testimonies. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. And the psalmist concludes with what? Give me Life. There's this sense of urgency. There's this sense of tone that that doesn't exist, sadly, in many people today. I'll get to it. I'll follow when. I'll become one like Christ at my choosing. No. No. I love how Dr. Joe Stoll, author and president of Cornerstone University, says, and I left you the quote, one of the rewards of following Christ is the simplicity and wonder it brings to life. The simplicity and the wonder that it brings to life. Following Jesus first and foremost is a commitment to obey. Secondly, following Jesus is a commitment to grow. Another point that I want to stress is this phrase, and it's also this promise that Jesus uses. Follow me in what I will make you to become. I, Jesus says, what the weight, the responsibility, I will take care of this for you. I don't know if there's any more terrifying and yet comforting words to be taken from something that you have done all of your life And now to be trained and taught to do something that is entirely different. And yet, who's doing the training? Who's doing the teaching? How many times do we say, well, I'm not quite ready for that responsibility yet. Maybe someday. Wait a minute. You're not demonstrating trust in God to what? 
teach you to take the step of faith. It's about submission and it's about surrender. Jesus says, you'll continue to fish, but from now on you will fish for something that is entirely different. So I ask you, are you willing to relinquish the control that you think that you have for your life? There's always been this great debate, and and you've heard this argument, are, are leaders born or are leaders made? And you could use that. You could replace that. Are, are communicators born or are they made? Are, are influencers, are they, are they born that way or are they made that way? Are, are effective disciple makers born that way or are they made that way? Do you realize that right here, is the answer to that question once and for all. When God calls a man, when God calls a woman to follow him, look what it says. He will make you take yourself off of the throne and say, Lord, I'm yours. You do whatever you want with me. That's really, that's, that's really what Jesus is doing. Summoning these four men had made what? It, it makes quite an impact in a small town. It is a small fishing village. Four young men in their prime. You're going. The questions. Oh, so you're going? I'm sorry. Where are you going? Oh, you don't really know where you're going. You're just going. You're, you're, you're following that man and he's going to make you to catch, make you to fish for men. Does that seem a little strange, a little odds? James and John, you, you're leaving your father's business. You're just, you're just abandoning your family. Jesus makes it very clear, unless you love me more than you love your father and your Jesus says, follow me, I will make you. It immediately implies there's going to be a process. It's going to be a process of learning. It's going to be a process of growing. It's going to be a process of maturing. And understand this, it is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen quickly. It takes time. And this speaks about the fact that there's going to be a a, a rabbi-student, a teacher-student relationship here. Jesus is calling them to just come and you follow me. I'll do the work. But you need to be close to me, to journey alongside, to walk alongside all day long, every single day. What, what is this the formation of? This is the foundation of what? What, what do we, it sounds very familiar. I want you to come. I want you to follow me. I want you to spend all day, every day with me and you'll become like me. This is the forming of what? A major part of why we exist as a church. It's talking about the discipleship relationship. It is coming to the forefront very early in the mission that God calls us on as a local church. It's at the forefront of the gospel. Discipleship is very, very simply... Discipleship is very clearly what? It is all about following Jesus. We see that here 
And we now, as we serve, we do it, what? Alongside of, close to, we snuggle up with. Thirdly and finally, following Jesus is a commitment to invest. As a follower of Christ, you are making a commitment to invest into the lives of other people. And understand and hear me on this. You cannot, you cannot do this from a distance. Think about it. If Jesus is to preach a message, he must gather around him himself men who can also teach that message so they too can become sharers of this message. And he calls them in the midst of everyday life, even in what we would refer to as the monotonous or the mundane. Jesus calls them out. God's plan and and God's reign does not operate in a void or in a vacuum. But rather, it assumes that people are subject to that rule and it involves the formation of community. You're, you're committing to follow Jesus. You're committing to invest into the lives of other people. I'm reminded of the word, uh, the, the words of, of, of the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 24. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Primary responsibility of who we, who we are as, as believers. I, I was struck, I was reminded just recently, somebody handed me a piece of paper. And, and it, was a, it was a story about the redwoods, you know, in the, in the Pacific Northwest. And they literally grow, these redwood trees, they grow 300, 325, 350 feet tall. Uh, some, some of the redwood trees and in Northern California have, have existed for more than, they estimate more than 2,000 years. I want you to envision a tree 300 feet tall and think in, in your minds for a moment, how deep do you think the roots go into the ground? A tree that's 300 feet tall. I, I, I was reminded recently that when we see an oak tree, there is, a, there is as much of the oak tree below the ground as there, are, as there is above the ground. So, so you, you now multiply that. If you think, okay, wait a minute, if you see a tree 300 feet tall, how deep do those roots go? You know, the answer is between, on average, 6 to 10 feet deep. That's it. A giant redwood. And, and the... The roots go six to ten. How in the world? The reason that those trees can withstand the winds, and there are winds in that part of the country, is because it's always what? You never see a redwood growing by itself. They, they exist in forests, redwood forests. They grow close to one another, and what happens is the roots go under the ground, and they immediately connect with other trees and roots. And, and they grow into one another underground so that when the wind blows, what? They withstand. They never, ever are alone. The same idea here. When, when Jesus Christ calls us into relationship, he calls us to invest into the lives of other people. That, that's the idea of connecting our lives, living our lives alongside of. I've always struck with the fact that why... 
why fishermen? Why not shepherds? They kind of get the leading concept or the carrying. Why, why fishermen? Why not soldiers? They would have been strong and, and they would have been able to take orders. Why, why fishermen? Why not teachers? They would have been better communicators. They would have got a day off to go hunting once in a while. Why? These men, and estimates are that seven of the twelve disciples were all fishermen. They, they were not, they were not educated, okay, with MBAs. They did not have degrees in leadership development. I conclude with this. William McDonald offers helpful insight that makes the connection between the art of fishing and the idea of discipleship and evangelism. Number one, he said, they, it requires patience. In order to be a good fisherman, a successful fisherman, the same way that you're going to be a good what? Disciple maker, a good follower of Christ, is, is, it's going to take patience. It's going to take a while. Another thing is that it requires skill. A good fisherman knows what, what, what bait to use how to connect in the context that they're living in, how to apply the right tool for the right situation. We need to learn to do the same as ones who what? Do the work of an evangelist, those who make disciples. It requires discernment. It's what? It's coming to an understanding of, I'm going to go where the fish are biting. I'm going to go at the time of the day that the fish are biting. Same idea that we find out where the Holy Spirit is moving. We build relationships where we know those people are being led and drawn by the Holy Spirit. McDonald also offers it requires persistence. A good fisherman is not easily discouraged. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be easily discouraged. You've got to be persistent in that. Try and try and try again. Fifthly and finally, it requires quietness. And I love this to avoid disturbances, to avoid distractions, to be still and know that I am God, to spend time in His Word, to spend time in listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of these things. Finally, we become fishers of men by following Christ. The more that we grow to be like Him, the more successful we will be. I would say don't overthink it. Don't feverishly try to overwork it. Trust Him. Our responsibility is simply to follow, to be a Christian, one like Christ, and He will take care of the rest. Now that, that question, how, how do you respond? What, what, what of the three categories? Jesus says, follow me. Where, where are you? I trust that you can say without hesitation, without reservation, I'm in. If some of you are here this morning saying, well, I'm not exactly sure what it means. I tell you what, find me, find any one of the elders, call any one of the numbers on the the bulletin, and, 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 and we will commit to dive deep, to, to learn what it is that God has for us. So that together, together, connecting our lives, following Him, we are followers of Christ. We are ones like Christ. And Jesus says, follow me. 
Where are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the love that you have given to us by offering your own son. And and God, with that amazing news of our rescue, I pray, Lord, that it drives us and propels us to live for you, to give more for you, and to follow you in every way for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.